Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, not one thought, not one atom of our very selves is not known to you, is not held together by you. Lord, you see us in all of our unique and specific situations this morning, and you're merciful. And so we cast ourselves upon your mercy this morning for ourselves, for our neighbors, for our family, for our children, for our parents, for those who are lost out in the streets of this city. You hold all things together, and we cast ourselves upon your mercy and grace this morning. And so, would you, by your mercy, heal us this morning? Heal our hearts, heal our bodies. Father, we thank you for forgiving our sins by the blood of Jesus. So we cast ourselves upon him this morning. Be with us, minister to us. Be our strength when we are weak. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. I did too much yelling last night at a soccer game. I probably wasn't the greatest example. There we go. So here's, here's my warning. Here's my warning this morning. As far as I can remember, this is my first sermon about tithing. So there's, there's the opening warning. Uh, never done this before, mostly because I stick on the lectionary, but here it is, guys. Here it is. So the dreaded day has come. Now, most of you probably don't know about I-S-K-C-O-N, ISCCON. ISCCON, it sounds like an Anglican conference, but it's not. It's actually the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, for Krishna Consciousness, Almost 500 years ago, out of the pantheon of Hindu gods and goddesses, there was a movement that began in India, uh, paying adherence to one supreme god among the pantheon, and this was Hare Krishna. Now, in the 1960s, this is why many of you might know about this, Americans and mostly hippies were obsessed with mystical Eastern practices. Today... Because of this sort of translation and this obsession back started in the 60s, nearly every fitness center practices yoga today, and we don't think twice about it. Mindfulness is on every eating app or conversation or news article or whatever. Now, in New York City in 1966, this centuries-old obscure religious society of people with bald heads and strange clothes from Calcutta was officially founded. It was officially founded in New York City, of all places. Now, beginning in New York, Hare Krishna's 
quickly spread throughout the world. They could be found begging in crowded spaces and especially airports, and some of you might have seen them before. But not at first. Not at first. People were put off by the beggars and all of the begging. They were put off by it. The followers of Hare Krishna would remain mostly obscure until they employed a new strategy in the 1970s, so about a decade after they began. Now, instead of simply asking for donations, instead of just asking for donations, they began not to just, not to just give out. They almost force a gift upon you. This is what they do. It, it could be a book, and that's maybe how it started, or most often today, a rose is forced into your hand. You don't really want to receive it, but they, they get it into your hand till you pick it up as a passerby, usually in the airport, but this can be all over the place. Only after someone took the rose would, then the, would they then ask for a donation. They gave them the rose, and then they asked for the donation, and money started to pour in like crazy. In the mid-70s and all the way to today, the Hare Krishna Society exploded in scale. Now, you might even be in some major airports and see signs that warn you not to go in certain part of the airports because you're going to encounter Hare Krishnas. They don't even, they don't kick them out. They just give you signs on how to avoid them. And we'll talk about that here in a little minute. Today, there are vast, ornate temples, businesses, houses, and property in over 321 centers in the United States and around the world. All right. Now, after accepting the rose, I'm going to talk a little bit about this method here a little bit. People would do anything. And you can imagine this situation for yourself. Maybe you've experienced it. I remember the first time I experienced something like this was getting off the plane in Mexico on my honeymoon, but I'm not talking about that. People would do anything to get away from this social pressure that immediately hits you. They would take the first out they were given. If you give me an out... I got to get out of this. I got to get out of this situation. And the first out that they were given is money. Give them money and they would leave you alone. So most people give them money. Most people give them money. After giving a donation, most people would walk into the next corridor at the airport and throw the rose in the trash. And the Hare Krishnas know this. And so Every so often, they go into the other terminals on the way to the airports, and they go through the trash, and they get all the roses out, and they take them back, and they use them again for the next target. Now, why this long story about an obscure, Americanized Eastern religion, or Hindu cult, or whatever you want to call it, there is an unwritten rule that's underneath this, a transcendent law maybe as the foundation to this story, to this opening illustration. Sociologists have documented this law in every human society. There's a lot of studies on this. Archaeologists have found it written in every age and in every place that they've paid attention or looked for it. And many cultural anthropologists have described this law as the foundation of civilization, as as the underlying foundation substructure. They would articulate this as, this is the reason why the humans uh, overcame the, the apes or the, the human hybrids or whatever. So what is this law? What is this law? You might call it, and this is what I like to call it, the old give and take. 
That's the technical phrase for it, the old give and take. If you scratch my back, this is my favorite application of the law. If you scratch my back, then I'll scratch your back. This law is present everywhere. Everywhere from Amway to Tupperware parties, if you're an old folk, (laughs) to free door prizes at fundraisers. Every time we receive a Christmas card or even else, a Christmas present, oh, now i got to get them a present. Every time someone invites you over for dinner, oh, now i got to invite them over for dinner. Bookshelves in church narthexes. You gotta laugh, that's good. So, all right. This is a tithing sermon, so you gotta laugh a little bit. There's, there's ways to release that social pressure, and laughter is a good way to do that. This rule is everywhere. Here it is I should try to repay, I should try to repay in kind what another person has provided to me. And that is the rule that I'm talking about. Instead of saying thank you for a gift, we say, Much obliged, much obliged, and there are studies that show that there's a synonym. These are synonymous phrases, thank you and much obliged, are synonyms in many, many, many different languages, right? It crosses all cultures. I am now indebted to you. You gave me a gift, and I don't just say thank you. I am obliged to give you a gift in return. I don't want to be a mooch. Do you want to be a mooch? I don't want to be a mooch. I don't want to be an ingrate or a free loader. Pay every debt. This is how Ralph Waldo Emerson put it. Pay every debt as if God wrote the bill. This is what I'm talking about. Emerson was called, and this is in the 19th century, so the 1800s, the prophet of American religion. Pay every debt as if God wrote the bill. Now, why all this talk about transcendentalist philosophers and Hare Krishnas? Because this is what we believe about God. This is what all of us believe about God by reflex, certainly by culture, but I think it's deeper than that. We said it this morning, and I say it every Sunday right here at the end of the announcements, Ascribe unto the Lord the honor due his name, bring offerings, and come into his courts. Doesn't the inner cynic in you cry out every time you've heard that Malachi 3 is the sermon text for that morning? <laughs> Has anybody ever been there? Maybe that's just me. That's my whole life. I, I cry out. I have this reflex. Ooh, don't ask something of me. I'm going to have to give you something in return. I don't like this law. I'm running away from it. We hear these words, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, you probably heard that this is the only time in the Bible, in the whole Bible, that we're invited to test God. Have you guys heard that before? 
right? That's the start of a lot of sermons. Uh, it's true. It's true. We're invited, and maybe the language is a little softer, but it's still clear that we're invited to test God. He invites us to test him. Well, today is your lucky day, Christian. You guys ready for this? Just for coming this morning as our free gift to you, you get your very own Joel Osteen Inspiration Cube. That's a real product that I heard about this week, and I wasn't even researching for it. It came to me. You can buy it at Walmart. You can buy it at Walmart, a Joel Osteen Inspiration Cube with a suggested donation of $39.99. Greedy, moocher, beggar, or worse, or worse, this kind of idea has that idea for us, or worse, you are a manipulative, guilt-tripping power player. You're a politician. Here, I'm giving you a rose. Take a book. Take a book. Take it. It's free. It's free. Take it. That's what it sounds like to me. We all have the same repulsive impulse when we feel socially pressured to do something, especially when it comes to our money. Rather than steel myself against the social pressure of a rose, I'll take a totally different corridor. I do that all the time, don't you, in your life? If I go to that party, then I'll have to buy something. Then I'll have to buy something. I'll never go to church again. I don't want to feel that age-old pressure as the offering plate is passing me by. Ugh, how do you, how do you not put something in that plate? It's just touching your hand. The old give and take. Sounds to me like the old give and take and take and take and take. The prophet of American religion was right. We are skeptics. We are skeptics, and we're skeptics for good reasons. And I want to talk about some of those this morning. This is our default, not people out there. This is our default. This is our practice in the church, and even it gets into this church. This is our default. This is how you attract people. This is how we do it. This is how we're taught to do it. Give them gifts, provide services and programs and purpose or good theology, or whatever it might be, and get something. Get more people. Get more numbers. Get more whatever. Giving units. <laughs> this is how you're supposed to fundraise for church plants. This is how you create welcome teams. I can play the cynic better than you. I guarantee you, I can play the cynic way better than you. I see it everywhere. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This is what Moses says in Deuteronomy. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. But Jesus, aware of their malice, and maybe read yourself as the Pharisee, I encourage you to do that, aware of my malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Why put me to the test? I've been inviting God to search me this week, and actually I've been doing this for months, you can ask the vestry. <laughs> I've been talking about this kind of thing. That's one of the things that we do in the vestry is talk about finances and various things like that. Search me, O oh God, and you know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And when he does that and when I say that prayer, it, may, it makes me crumble in on myself even more often. So I have three reflections on tithing this morning. And I pray that they have been tested by fire. In other words, I hope that some of my cynicism is burned off. 
and I can help you burn that off so that we can have something left, some gold. So point number one, the law of reciprocity, and this is the technical way to say what I've said this morning already, the law of reciprocity, this principle of give and take, is true. It's true, but it's twisted. Let me show you that. Now, whether we're talking about offering plates or Christmas gifts or Hare Krishnas, the most powerful reflex in humanity and arguably the building block of civilization, reciprocity, is reality. This is reality. Archaeology, sociology, cultural anthropology, there is no evidence that the law of give and take has not been present from the beginning, and it has, and I want to show you here in a minute. The law of reciprocity is not only true, but it's good. We teach it to our children. We do this rightly. We say to our, our kids things like, do unto others have, as you would have them do unto you, don't we? Shouldn't we? <laughs> Make sure you write a thank you card to everyone at the party, child. Negotiate a fair trade with your sister. Don't take advantage of her. Don't take advantage of her. And... Don't we also teach our kids to avoid the inherent dangers in this powerful and often twisted law? Here are some examples. There's no such thing as a free app, child. There's no such thing as a free app, in-app purchases or subscriptions or predatory and harmful business practices make the most money. There is no such thing as a free app. Oh, we gave you something for free. Mm, I want to give something back to them. It works. Trust me. Don't just download the free app. There's one thing you can learn, kiddos or adults. <laughs> Watch out for people who are emotionally manipulative, who do a bunch of favors for you only to get something in return. Don't be someone who gets really upset when you give someone a Christmas gift and they don't give you one in return. These are all my lessons that I give to my children because I've walked all of these people. I've done this. Maybe, and more pointedly, young women. Just because they took you out for dinner and spent a lot of money on you doesn't mean that they have a right to your body. It's twisted. It's a twisted law. This law is so comprehensively powerful. We cannot escape it, and even if we manage to escape it outwardly, it torments us in our own heads. It, it weighs on us. We live it all the time. We'll do everything to avoid it. As soon as I receive something from them, then I'll owe them one. I must decline the gift. I must deflect the compliment. If I pay them this kindness, then they'll want kindness back from me or else I'm aiming for their kindness. Even as I pay them a compliment, I'm really just fishing for a compliment. We're broken. We're messed up. This law is twisted in us and it's been used against us. Anyone who is giving me a gift is always a scoundrel. And this is a reflex that is something that has been born because of experience. They're a politician, so I'll pay for everything myself. I'll never take handouts. This is my mentality. I don't know if it's yours. 
So the sinful cynic in me is skeptical of every single thing that I do for others. I'm tormented by this law. I've never preached a sermon on tithing, and I think it's probably because I'm chained to this inner critic. I've become small and cowardly. I'm chained to my own tragedy. What is the way out? That's what I want to know. What is the way out of this ever-present cynicism? Is it capitalism? Is it capitalism? That's a big answer. Is it fair exchange or free exchange? Is it socialism? Is it no ownership? Should we enter into monastic communities and give up our rights to everything? These are a lot of different options that have been proposed throughout the world and the history of the church inside and outside the church. Now, right before we were married, my uncle told me the answer. And here's the answer. This is the answer to the question. This is the question again. What is the way out of this cynicism? What is the way out of this twisted usage and this tyranny of the law of give and take, give and take over and over again? My uncle said it like this. Most people say that marriage is 50-50. It's 50% give and 50% take. And they're wrong. They're wrong. Marriage is 100% give and 100% give. And that leads to my second point. The answer is, you guys are going to love this. All you church people are going to love this a lot. The answer is the gospel. It's the gospel. But what does that mean? In the beginning, God made everything, heaven and earth, land and sea, birds and animals, bread and wine. And then he made man and he said, here, it's all yours. Here, it's all yours. Everything is mine. And the creator made it and he gave it away. And now everything is yours, Adam. Keep it. Guard it. But Adam, even there, even there, he needed someone like him to share it with. He needed to experience it in his real lived experience. So God made Eve, one whom Adam could give himself 100% to and she to him. He put them in a garden and from his abundance he gave to them. He gave to them and they had nothing to offer God except what he first gave to them. They were made to be a king and a queen who looks after God's kingdom as stewards, which is to say none of it's theirs. They're looking after his stuff. Guard it, keep it, multiply it. And God gave them everything. He gave it all to them in all creation except a small portion, the text says. Everything is yours. Every tree is yours. I call you to care for it all. Keep it. Keep it, but one tree I'm giving to you, it's yours, but I don't want you to eat from it. You have rule and power and dominion over it, but don't eat from this one tree. Don't eat the fruit. As a reminder that I am creator, that I am the source of all life and wisdom, don't grasp for fruit, the fruit of this tree, Open your hand and leave it to me. Leave it to me as a reminder. Everything is yours. It is all gift. If only you will keep your hand open, Adam. But Adam and Eve and you and I with them, they didn't like this arrangement. 
So they took, and when, and when they took, they started this process, this cycle of giving. But when they gave, it was always tainted with take. And we take, and we give, and we take, and we take, and we take. They robbed God of his glory. This is what Malachi uses, his language. They robbed God of his glory, and we rob God of his glory. And so the tyranny of the twisted law of reciprocity was born in us. We can't escape it, and it is played out every day from the very beginning of the story. Jealousy, murder, in the very beginning of the story, anxieties multiply, covetousness, backbiting, mooching, political deals with foreign nations, shady business practices all over the place, codependency, works righteousness, a lot of different ways to say that this principle is wreaking havoc in the story. And then the story changed. Just as sin came into the world, the Apostle Paul says, through this one man, Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death, it reigned. It reigned over us from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. But, Paul says, the free gift, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's, man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift, it's not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. And it brings condemnation over and over again in us. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, and the free gift, the free gift of righteousness. Much more will they reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so here is the answer. God, in Christ, has broken down the law of reciprocity once for all. I will give you everything, he says. I will accomplish everything for you, and you cannot pay me back, enemy. You cannot pay me back. It's free. It's free. I have redeemed you from the curse of Adam so that you can finally see that I am the source, that I am the source of everything, and I freely give it to you, and I ask nothing in return. This is the answer. I ask nothing in return. Come without money and buy. Come without money and buy. Come without money and buy. 100% give and 100% give. He gives everything to us and for us. And we can bring all of ourselves to him. Nothing in my hand I bring. So that's the answer. What about tithing? Here's my final point. And this is just beginning to scratch the surface. Tithing is not the law exacted. Tithing is the gospel enacted. Hear that again. 
Tithing is not the law exacted, taken from you. Tithing is the gospel enacted. I'm going to read from Caesareus of Arles. He wrote this in A.D. 542. Listen then, impious one. You know that everything belongs to God. You will not give the creator of all things something of his own. The Lord God is not in want. He does not demand recompense, but honor. He doesn't need anything from you. He does not demand repayment. He wants our honor. God is always ready to do good. But the wickedness of humanity prevents it because he wishes that everything can be given him from the Lord God, but is unwilling to offer anything of what he seems to possess, what he seems to possess. Now, suppose God should say, suppose he should say something like this. Caesareus invites us to imagine, of course, you are mine, man, for I made you. Mine is the earth that you cultivate, mine the seeds that you sow, the animals that you work are mine, mine are the rain and showers, the blasts of the winds are mine, mine is the heat of the sun, since all the elements of life are mine, you who only put your hands to them deserve merely tithe. Suppose he spoke like this to us. Now, although this is his right, Almighty God kindly feeds us and gives us an ample reward to man for his little labor. He claims only tithes for himself and gives the whole to us. Everything is his. He gives it the whole to us, even as we give one-tenth back to him. And so here's the point. Everything is God's. And he gives it all to you freely in the gospel. This is the work of new creation that he's beginning in us by faith. So receive it with an open hand this morning. You cannot buy it. And then, with hands still open, release 10% to God. This is the invitation. This is grace. This is grace. This is grace upon grace. This is not law. This is not tax. This is not reciprocity. This is not payment. This is the first fruits of faith, an open hand. It's an invitation. Abel brought his first fruits as an offering in faith because it's all God's. So he brought his best. It's not mine. It's not mine. It's yours. Help me rem to remember this, Lord. Help me. Help me to do this. Abel honored God. He opened his hand. He didn't pay him back. Abram gave a tenth of everything he had to Melchizedek, not because of a law. The law was not given, the writer of Hebrews says. Not because of reciprocity. Not because he could pay God anything, but because of faith. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. Israel brought their best to the Levites, and it was not condemnation to them if it was merely obedience to the law. It was only ever life to them if they brought it by faith. And Malachi, and this is really important. 
Malachi proclaimed the way of gospel freedom. Open your hand and hear this. Even when the storehouse of the temple is occupied by faithless priests. This is Malachi. Go read it. Go read it. The priests are a wreck. The nation is in shambles. The temple is crumbling and crumbling again. And it's falling apart. And you're robbing God. Don't do it. And here's why this is gospel news. Not just for you and not, not just for us together or the church or whatever we want to say. It's gospel news for me that you're not tipping priests for good sermons. Don't tithe if it's a payment because you like me. Because that's exactly what I want. I don't need that. You don't need that. God does not want that from you. Don't tip. Don't tithe because you got something, good or bad. You're not paying for services. You're enacting the gospel. This is gospel grace. When we do this and we, and we, don't, we don't put strings on it, we're not asking for reciprocity. This is gospel grace to me. To priests who are tempted to think that giving is directly related to whether or not I'm doing my job well. That the bottom line is a sign of health. It may or it may not be. But we're invited to open our hand. And this is the first step. Tithing is not law. It is not law exacted. Tithing is the gospel enacted. Open your hands. Don't tithe because of anything good or bad in you or me or in this place or in the church. Open your hand to God. This is the invitation. Give it to him. He wants to bless you this morning. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.